Redeemer Church, let's continue in Hebrews. Uh, I'm going to move quick here. Let's see. Let me ask God for help. God, uh, sort through my mind, my heart, my notes. All of us sort through us. Sort and uh, take us where we need to be. God, amen. So we launched this Hebrews series called Out of the Shadows. The main idea there is that the book of Hebrews says that the Old Testament is but a shadow of the good things to come, that Jesus Christ is the substance. And I argued last week that not just the Old Testament, but all of reality is the shadows, or C.S. Lewis calls it the shadowlands. That's where we walk and live, and there's goodness there and goodness to be had, but it isn't the greatest. Jesus is the substance. And so the focus of this series is to call our minds, our hearts, our thoughts out of the shadows and into Christ, who is the substance. If you missed that first sermon... I would encourage you to watch it. Um, there's just some foundational stuff about this, the idea of the shadows and the substance that will make, help make sense for the rest of the series. So if you have an opportunity to go back and listen to that. We were in Hebrews 1, 1 through 4 last week, and there's just so much there. You could literally spend a long time there, six months. Well, we're doing two weeks. And last week, like I said, I really focused in on this idea of Jesus upholding the universe by the power of his word, right? That he's the creator and he's the substance, right? And so we want to come back this week and talk about Jesus being the image of God. We see that here in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And Colossians 1 puts it this way, straightforward. He is the image of the invisible God. God is invisible. We can't see him. In Christ, we see him. That's the idea. So let's linger there. Let me ask you this. What is the purpose of life? Have you thought that, right? I think most of us have wrestled with that at some point. Why am I here? What's the point? What's the purpose? So I, I Googled it. I want to know, what do people think, right? And here's one answer I came up with. This is a kind of a scientific atheistic answer. It said, all life forms have one essential purpose, survival. And I thought, you kind of answered the question with the question, right? Like, what's the purpose of life? To live. Like, that's my question. All right, that wasn't very helpful. But let's just say that's it, survival. Is that the ultimate purpose? Then anything that gets in the way of that serves that survival by any means necessary. I mean, that is what we see in nature. And the question is, is that all there is? Is that just survive, just live, pass on your genes? That's the purpose of life. Well, no, that's obviously not the purpose of life. So what is it? How would we articulate it? There's different ways to put it. The purpose of the universe. So Jonathan Edwards, an old theologian, pastor, preacher, wrestled with this question and using the scriptures and seeing what it revealed, he came to this conclusion. He says this, God created the world as an arena for his glory to flow outward like a fountain. That's okay. What does that mean? To show his glory, to show himself, to reveal himself. The purpose of life is to see and know God. That's the purpose. In Him is life and joy. That's the reason He made the world, right? So God, before the world exists, knows Himself, and He knows He's great. 
because he's filled with love and joy. And he goes, this must be known. So he makes a universe. And it's not just Jonathan Edwards, right? It's God himself in the Word. It says this, Psalm 19.1 says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So the heavens, the stars, the moon, the planets, the atmosphere, the wind, the storms, everything tells a story. It says something. It declares what? The glory of God. God is great. God is glorious. It's the revelation of God. When we encounter the creation, we see his power, his beauty, his wisdom, his intelligence. Paul says this in Romans 1, that when we encounter the creation, we see that God is divine and eternal. It's the revelation of God. It's the purpose of life, to see God, to reveal himself. Or I put it this way, the purpose of the planet, the purpose of life, is for God to pleasure his creatures with his presence. Okay, I'm going to make a planet. I'm going to put some people on it, and I'm going to pleasure them with my presence. That's the purpose of life, to enjoy God. So is, is God, is the way we think about God, is it ultimately about rules or about pleasure? I think many of us, depending on our history, we think of God and we think of Christianity as like rule. Well, these these rules that we should follow, and when we break them, God gets upset, and then he forgives us, and then we move on with life. Like, and there are laws, and there are rules, but that's not the essence the essence is this. There is, here's a rule in the Bible. Delight yourself in the Lord. That's a rule. Delight yourself in the Lord. Oh, that's, a, that's different. It starts to get into the purpose of what we're doing here, that God is good to be delighted in. So what's the purpose of man? If the purpose of the universe is to reveal God, what's the purpose of man? It's the same, to reveal God. That's why you're here. You're here to show God. It's a high calling. We get this from Genesis. You go through Genesis 1 and you see the creation story. God is making the heavens above and all the animals and creeping and crawling things. And then he comes to Genesis 1.26 and he says something different. He says, let us make man in our image. He never says that about the creation, the rest of the creation. There's something unique about you, something unique about me. And it is what? We're made in the image of God. And what does that mean? It, it means a lot. It means that we exercise dominion. It means that we have wisdom, discernment, knowledge. But at the end of the day, I think it's this. It's that we have the capacity for love. The Bible tells us God is love at its root. That's who he is. He is love, right? It's him and his son and the Holy Spirit loving one another, saying, this is great. What's so great? Our love. Love is the essence of who we are. So we're going to make a world, and we're going to put people on it, and we're like, okay, show us. Display us. How? Love. Which is why that's the sum, summary of the law. Love God, love one another. Love one another. Show each other, show everyone else, show the universe what God is like. How? Love one another. You're made in the image of God. Isn't that why we have kids? So many of you here have kids, most of you. All of you are kids. Um, many of you want kids. Why? Isn't that the essence that you just want? I, I have the sense that I want to multiply myself and then together we'll bask in love. Isn't that, is there something more? Is it just labor? You know, back in the day, that was it. Man, we needed some labor. But now, we don't need that. We have robots to do that. What's the point? Why have kids? Isn't that really it? It's like I, I want to reproduce, 
I want to make something in my image, and then I want us to be loving one another. And there's all kinds of stuff around that and vision and what we do with school and you know, career and all these things. But at, at the end of the day, don't you just want love? Isn't that your dream for your family? Like that we would love one another? Why is that? Because that's how God made us. To bask in the love of God. That's why we had kids. So we could bask in love. Well, how's that going? What are you basking in? Mm. You know, I've, I've said before that God made uh, kids weak enough that they can't kill us and them cute enough that we won't kill them. Right? That's, that's the only thing keeping this thing together. If they were born full size, we'd be in trouble. Seriously, think about that. You ever seen a, a baby try to snatch something from you? And you're like, no, no, but it doesn't understand. All it has is desire. But it doesn't have the strength, so it's just like trying to take the thing. But imagine that full size. <laughs> and it wants the watch or whatever it is. Like, you're done. <laughs> so that's the call. That's the ideal, that we would display God, that we would image him. But we haven't. Then man, the image, that image is marred in our sin. Rather than imaging God and showing love, we do the opposite of that. We don't love. I didn't ask my wife for permission, but I'm going I'm to tell you anyway. My wife and I had a spat last night. Thankfully, it's not very often. Um, you know what we fought about? College football. Now, here's the thing. You must think I really care about college football. The thing I really don't. I don't give a rip about college football. I barely give it, only was giving it a thought because it was on, we were watching. I don't care. Well, what, what am I so worked up about? You know what I care about? Me. I care a lot about me. I care a lot about being right. I care a lot about feeling like I'm being treated with dignity. Oh, I care a lot about those things. This is the person that I love more than anyone on the planet. And I'm fighting with her about college football. And it, it is a moment of revelation. And it is this. You need a savior. Like you have failed at your mission to image God. And she has failed. And you have failed. And I have failed. And so what's our hope? We do see God in the creation in shadows, right? Kind of. Yes, the heavens declare the glory of God, but not, it's not the exact imprint of his nature. It's in the ballpark. And then us, the pinnacle of the creation, with the most potential of any other creature to display God and to show his love. Instead, we are marred and sinful and broken. And therefore, in John, the book of John, John 1.18, John can say this, no one has seen God at any time. Wait, I thought the heavens declares handiwork and His glory. Isn't He visible in the creation? Isn't He visible in man? It's like, it's so off that no one has seen God. But it's what we want to see. It's the purpose of the universe. And we see hints and shadows and marred images, and we have longed and searched. There's that line in that, Christmas hymn, it says this, Long lay the world in sin 
and error, pining. For what? To see God. Right? What, what's this song about? It's about the birth of Christ. Finally. Oh, we have long laid in sin and error, pining, longing for love to be displayed, to be known once and for all. Clearly, we want to see the exact imprint of that. We know it exists. We cry for it. We pray for it. We reach for it. We fall. And do we just give up and say love is a dream? Love is a lie. And something in our hearts just won't let us. We just keep leaning in and praying and longing for that. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. And then the birth of God. And what is that? What is he? He is the exact imprint of his nature. He's what you're not. He's what I'm not. He's what's lacking in us, in our testimony. He is the image of God, right? The true and better image. No one has seen God at any time, John 1, 18, but the only begotten Son, Jesus, who is, and I like the New American Standard translation, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has made Him known. Ah, okay, so you've got this idea in the book of John. <laughs> John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, there He is, in His bosom. And the Word was God, so united in Him that they are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all one, Holy Trinity. Jesus is familiar, right? The bosom, that's that place when your kids come and hug you and you just take them in, that's that place of comfort, intimacy. I have a brother who's, brother-in-law who's 6'5", and you know, when you, when you go to hug a man who's 6'5", you go, what do you do? Do you do the girl hug like this? You know, like, I just take it, man. I just put my head in his bosom. I just, I love you, bro. Like, no homo. But anyway, that was just a joke. That doesn't really help the sermon. Um, <laughs> All right, God has a bosom. Okay, we're coming back to this. All right. This idea that... Jesus, the Son, is intimate with the Father. He can reveal the Father because He knows the Father. That's it. So acquainted with Him that they are identical in their values and their character and their love. He bursts forth into creation to reveal Him. So when we see Jesus, we see God. Remember, Philip, when are you going to show us the Father? Have you been with me so long, Philip? If you have seen me, you see the Father. So we look to Jesus because that's God. The purpose of the universe is to reveal God. The creation is a shadow. We are shadows. He is the substance. There He is, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. The exact imprint. Wow. So this is what we're always doing is looking at Jesus, right? Every sermon, it's about Jesus ultimately. Who is He? What has He done? What is He like? And so we're going to do that through the book of Hebrews. I'm going to do that today. I want to highlight a couple things about him. He is the image of God. What do we see when we see him? In him we see the creator. We talked about that last week, that all things were made through him and for him. But what I want us to see is that this creator, right, this force that creates isn't just physics. It isn't just right, some blind force or an unnamed face. 
It is Jesus. He is the creator, the sustainer of life. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. Listen to this. He's talking about what we learn when we see Jesus burst on the scene and do miracles. Right? So he does various kinds of miracles, healing and turning water into wine and things like that. And he says, oh, we're looking at God here. What do we learn? He says this. God creates the vine. He's talking about God's general work in nature. He's basically saying God is always making wine. God creates the vine and teaches it to draw up water by its roots with the aid of the sun to turn that water into a juice which will ferment and take on certain qualities. Thus, every year from Noah's time towards our, to, to ours, God turns water into wine. That men fail to see. But when Christ at Cana makes water into wine, the mask is off. Ah, that's why he's doing these things. Not just to show that he has some kind of power, but to show that he is our God. He is God. The miracles of healing fall into the same pattern. You know, doctors don't really heal us. He says this, no dressing or bandage, right, will make skin grow over a cut on a corpse. All who are healed are healed by him, the healer within. But once he did it visibly, a man meeting a man. One of the chief purposes of Christ's miracles is that men, having seen things done by personal power on a small scale, may recognize when they see the same thing done on a large scale that the power behind it is also personal. Right? So the point is when you see Jesus doing, Jesus doing miracles, right? and turning water into wine, and healing, and then he leaves. We go, well, wait a minute. We still want that kind of wonder. And he says, you still have it. I'm still your God. I'm still your king. I'm still running the universe. I still care for you. I'm still healing. I'm still feeding. That's what's always been going on. The miracles are, in fact, a retelling in small letters of the very same story that is written across the whole world in letters too large for some of us to see. So that's the last part. When I open the Brothers Grimm, so like fairy tales, I find the sort of miracles which really would be arbitrary, like trees talk, houses turn into trees, magic rings raise tables, um, ships become goddesses, men are changed into snakes or birds. He goes, you don't find anything like that in the Gospels. Why? Such things, if they could be, would prove that some alien power was invading nature. They would not in the least prove that it was the same power which had made nature and rules her every day. But the true miracles express not simply a God, but our God. That which is outside nature, not as a foreigner, but as her sovereign, as her king. They announce not merely that a king has visited our town, but that it is the king, our king. We see in Christ the creator. And we see, and we come back to this issue, at the end of the day, what's the main thing displayed in Christ. Yes, his power to create and sustain, but it's his love. We can talk about Christ's justice. We can talk about his wisdom. We can talk about his humor. We can talk about his ability to engage with children, to party. You know, he was called a, a glutton and a drunk. You know what that means? He was partying with people. That's the image of God. He showed up and engaged with people in such a way that people thought, he's a party animal. <laughs> so that's something we could talk about. Some of you are like, oh, good, I'm going to go get drunk. Like, come on, exercise some discernment. <laughs> but love, right? What's the purpose to reveal God and what is the essence of God? It's, it's love. And when we look at Christ, we look at his life, it was all a march to the cross. 
That's where he, he was born for the cross. There's this great painting. I'll share it on Facebook. It's an old, like, Renaissance-era painting, and it's uh, Christ right in a, like, a cradle, and then behind him looms, like, the nails and the cross, like, in a carpenter shop. Like, that's, that's the point, right? Even in that song I, I quoted, right, what do we say eventually? Oh, look at this baby. Look at him. Yeah, nails, spears shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. This is, this is what God looks like. So if you take all the religions in the world and say, show me your God. Show me what, is he, what does he look like. And there's pictures out there. There's depictions of Buddha and all kinds of idols. You can just line them up. And none of them look like this. Oh, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Who has this very essence at the peak of his career, right? When he was exalted for all to see, right? When he's doing, sitting there teaching the disciples and a group of men come to him and say, hey, there's some Gentiles here to see you, some non-Jews. The Gentiles are coming. They want to see you. So he's like, okay, the time has come for me to reveal myself. And he says to the Father, Father, now glorify me with the glory that I had with you in heaven. And he's talking about being crucified. It is time for me to be glorified. It is time for the purpose of the universe to be revealed. What was the purpose of the universe? Love. The trees don't really get at that. We try. God does it. The purpose of the universe accomplished at the cross, the blood of Christ. That's why we sing, See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? So we've got this crown of thorns that is pressed on him, and it is because he's declared himself to be the king. And so he's being mocked. But the irony is that in the mocking, he's actually being crowned. It is his crown. Let me ask you this. Will Jesus take that crown off? Put something else on? That was good for a while. That was, that was a good run. Like while I was on earth and on the cross, that, that's good. But now let's get on to the real kingdom. I don't think so. That's the essence of who God is. The God who loves, the God who bleeds, the God who dies, that is his crown. He's the man of sorrows. It's so rich a crown. It's so rich a crown. It's the best crown. It's the crown of love. And it has been revealed. Jesus Christ, the exact imprint of his nature, and it's this also, it's a radiance. Think of this. It's, he's the radiance of the glory of God. It's not just an imprint. That's good. There he is out there with like an imprint, a painting almost like, right? You could see or a sculpture. Or a, but it says this, there's a radiance. It radiates. It moves forth, right? It's infectious. It's beyond depiction. The disciples, again, John, at the first chapter of John, says this, oh, that, that word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? And did he say, and we saw it. It's true, they saw it. They, but what did he say? From that fullness we have received, this love radiates. This love radiates. It moves forward. It's infectious. It's captivating. It's not just a still pick. It's moving forth. Jesus is the true and better pandemic, if you will, Right? infecting the world with his love. This is what he's doing. It's moving forth toward you, toward me, giving us forgiveness, 
for my sin and my inability to love, but also transformation is what he's offering us. So I'm out of time here. What's the application? Well, real quickly, it is that we are to image God in the world, and we're going to fail. But we go forth in optimism that God will empower us, He will transform us, and He will work, right? So we go forth, and that image is one of a suffering servant. So we go into our homes, our school places, the world, and we show God. We show God, right? By imitating Christ in His suffering servanthood for the world. Now, the, we will have success with that to the degree that we are in the bosom, right? We can't show what we don't know, right? So yes, go out to the world and show God, but advance, right, into the word and into prayer and communion and know God. That's my main application for you, right? So let me invite the response team up, communion servers, musicians, and we will enter a time of response. And this is, this is that opportunity to lean in to the bosom, right? So back to that picture of my brother-in-law. There's God, stands to hug you, and he's way taller than you. But don't hug him like this. Just full frontal hug God. Put your head in his bosom. Have intimacy with God, your creator, your father, your king, your husband, your friend. So that's what we're going to do during worship. We're going to sing, and that's what that is. That singing is a pressing in to that intimacy, to lean in to the bosom of God that we may know his love, to bask in that love, to revel in it. I looked up the word bask. What does that mean? To rebel. And I had to look up rebel. <laughs> I was like, I almost didn't make it here today. Um, <laughs> but it said to bask means to rebel in and make the most of something. Make the most of this time. Okay? Also, we will have an opportunity to give. So many of you give online, and it's good. If you would like to begin doing that, there's an opportunity to text. You can text to the number on the screen, and you'll get instructions on how to do that and support this church. It's our church. We support it, so let's trust God with that. It's an opportunity to imitate Him in that as well, right? To, to give, to be giving. Um, if you believe God has given you a message, a word for the church, specifically today for Redeemer, uh, I would ask that you submit that to me. Share that with me, and we'll discern if that's, if that's for us today. God does that sometimes. He speaks through not just the, the preacher or the worship leader, but through the members for the body. So be listening for that. And communion, we'll take communion. Interesting, Jesus could have left us with many, many, many forms of a memoir, right? That's what communion is. It's a memoir, right? It's like a, it's a thing that you're going to hold and come back to, to remember, right? Do this in remembrance of me. And he, he could have picked all kinds of stuff. But he said, but when you think of me, the image of God, I want you to remember this. What is it? My death. Why? Because that's my love. That's the thing I want you to know. You're going to tend to forget. Week after week after week, I want you to come back to this. The essence of God is His dying love for His people. Okay? So Jesus, instituting that with His disciples, took the bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. 
do this in remembrance of me, my essence. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is put out for you is the new covenant in my blood. It's God himself poured out. So we'll remember Christ and his dying love through communion as well. God, thank you for making yourself known. And I pray we would just look, just so eager to look into your word, into your church, by your spirit, we get a greater, greater picture of your nature, what you're like, and that that would change us and send us forth in power. Amen.